So glad you're here today. This is Broken Bracket Sunday. It's a special holiday for, I'm having a, you know, a time of depression here because my bracket died yesterday. And so um, it's, it's all good. I'm working through it. I'm going to work through it as I preach today. So, you know, be kind of group therapy for all of us. Amen. All right. So today we're going to continue in the series we started a while back ago <clears throat> called uh, Heart's Desire. And the premise of this series is simply this, is that when you seek the right things, you're going to find them. and you seek the wrong things, you're going to find them. So we're looking at what are the things that God wants us to seek? And uh, how do we do that? And last weekend, uh, Shane started the process of talking about wisdom. He told you it was a two-part series. He failed to tell you that I was going to do the last part of it, but uh, that's here and there. So I'm going to pick up with what Shane did last weekend, and I'm going to talk about wisdom today. I'm going to talk about the practical side of what it looks like in our lives to have wisdom in our life. And uh, I hope and pray, my prayer for you and for me both, is that we'll learn something from God today, that we'll learn something about wisdom that will make a major difference in our life. Because here's what I know for sure, you and I both need wisdom in our lives. That's what I know for sure. I don't know a lot, but I know that. I know that I need wisdom and you need wisdom, and uh, God offers it to us. And so... uh, that's where we're going to head today, and so I pray that you put your seatbelt on because we're going to cover a lot of ground today, and hopefully it will be helpful to you. I'm going to start with this verse. Proverbs 8.11 says this, for wisdom, by the way, before I start this, the, the wisest man in all the world wrote this particular passage of Scripture, Solomon, and I'm just going to tell you that he does, we do well when we listen to what he says. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Now, rubies in that culture in that time were the most valuable commodity you could have, and so you could insert any riches here. For wisdom is far more valuable than any riches. Nothing you desire can compare with it. Stop there for just a second. Nothing, nothing exceeds wisdom in our life, because when you don't have wisdom, the bottom falls out. You're going to have, I'm going to introduce this concept, you're going to have a lot of of consequences in your life or lack of wisdom, you're going to have regrettable consequences that really you'll look back and you'll say, man, if I would only had the wisdom of God in that circumstance. So this is pretty important. This concept of wisdom is a 10 of importance in our life of how we actually take the Christian life and live it out outside these walls. That's the goal of our life, right? To live it outside, out, outside these walls. So here's what I know. God's wisdom is not intuitive. Let's stop and think about that. God's wisdom is not intuitive. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I've discovered in my life is that almost always I get it wrong, God God gets it right, and it's not natural. The wisdom of God isn't my natural flow of thought. In fact, almost always God contradicts my life with his wisdom. Have you ever discovered that? Is that the way that I think oftentimes is a contradiction to the wisdom of God because what flows naturally is human wisdom and I'm going to just simply say what we need is God's wisdom. So I want to tell you a personal story out of my own life, uh, a lament. This is a lament that, uh, that I have in my life uh, because wisdom is something that I wished I had about 50 years ago when I, when, out, of, out of the result of telling you this story. When I was first married a long, long time ago, my wife and I, Judy, were living in a trailer, and I, I mean a small trailer. 
and it was not much to see, and it was the only thing that we could afford at that time. I was starting out in ministry, and uh, I you know, was collecting a salary that I wouldn't even call it a salary in those days. And so my dad came along and noticed, you know, he knew where I was living, and he said, hey, son, uh, I'll tell you what I can do for you. I will, I'd be willing, if you want, I'd be willing to give you the down payment for a house. And here in Reno, you, you, you go find a house and I'll, I'll give you the down payment for it. And if you need me to help you with a monthly payment, I'd even do that. And in those days, in those days in that time, you could buy a house. I know that this is going to shock many of you, but in those days in that time, you could buy a house for around fifty to $65,000. I mean, you could just buy one. I mean, you, you could go to South Reno, and, you know, you could buy a house in South Reno for about fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, and, you know, it was, it was such an incredible offer, and you would think anybody that had any, any wisdom at all would have said yes to that, but my wife and I, without praying about it, without thinking about it, we said, no, thank you. We'll pass. We'll, you know, and my thought was, this is how counterintuitive God's wisdom is. My thought was, I can do this my way. You ever thought that? I'm going to, I'm, you know, I, I want to do it my way. I want, you know, and in, re in reality, what I was really saying is I want credit for what happens here. And that mistake, that mistake, in the first service I said it cost me around $500,000. But my wife corrected me after the service, like she oftentimes does, in a loving, kind, gentle way. But uh, she said, no, it was probably closer to six to seven hundred thousand. That decision cost us six to seven hundred thousand dollars because buying a house then you could just slip into it. And, and right after that, about a month later, houses just skyrocketed. They doubled in price, and then they doubled in price, and they doubled in price. And here we are today in our economy and, and uh, had I had that house it would have been paid for like 30 years ago <laughs> and it would have been worth a lot of money and here I am going okay God that was really a bad choice anybody have regrettable choices like that in your life raise your hands really high come on now Almost everybody here has regrettable choices that they've made and so what I want to do is help us today find a way maybe to sideslip some of those choices that we make that, uh, um, that simply don't, they don't serve us well. So I want to start with a definition of wisdom. Defin uh, my definition of wisdom is simply this, the ability to apply knowledge to life circumstance. There's one thing to have knowledge. A lot of people have a lot of knowledge, but not a lot of people have a lot of wisdom. It's putting and connecting the dots between what I know and how I live and the choices that I make. And there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. In July of 2006, a world-famous geneticist was arrested and convicted of a, hor a horrific crime. I'm not even going to name the crime because it's a gross crime. He was just a bad dude. And his lawyer, after he was convicted and tried and found guilty, his lawyer did a press conference. And he said this. This is fascinating. He says, nothing about having an IQ of 176 means that you have good judgment. The smartest people in the world make really bad decisions in life. And the greatest enemy 
that we have in life is impetuous decisions that always have negative consequences. And the result is sometimes as we look back and we think, man, that was really a mistake. So here's what I've discovered in life. This is a little bit of humor. Just take this for what it's worth. I've discovered that, that everyone acts foolishly for at least five minutes a day, <laughs> some more than that. And uh, wisdom consists of not exceeding that limit, right? <laughs> My goal is to, you know, you know, maybe I'll make some really stupid decisions for five minutes, but for the rest of the day, I want to make good decisions. That was humor, okay? Just uh, hopefully I don't do that. So here we go. How then, how then do I live a life where I can make wise decisions, God's decisions, God's wisdom? How do I do that? Because that, according to Solomon, is worth more money than you could ever make in a lifetime. So what I want to do today for just a few minutes is I want to share with you seven non-negotiable elements of God's wisdom. These are things that you can't compromise on. These are things that you've got to have in your life. And if you put them into practice, what you're going to discover over a long period of time, you'll look back on your life and you'll see the hand of God working in your life in wisdom. And so I would take notes if I were you today, not because it's me, it's because this comes from God's Word and it comes from uh, what I've learned out of God's Word. So here we go, seven non-negotiables regarding wisdom. The first one, number one, right out of the gate, is you have to seek God consistently and continually. So Shane looked at a verse last weekend. I want to come back to it and talk a little bit more about it. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, if you need wisdom, anybody need wisdom? Almost all of us here need wisdom, right? Amen? If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. I love that section of Scripture. Ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask Him, be sure that, that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. We get wisdom in our life. Principle number one, we get wisdom in our life when we approach God this way. We approach God with, there's none else. If God doesn't show up, I don't get wisdom. As I approach God, I have to abandon my own abilities and, rec and recognize that what I bring to the table is zero and what God brings to the table is a hundred. And so it's that idea of not wavering, of coming to God consistently and coming to God with the attitude, He's it. He is it. There's none other. And then approach that not just one time. It's not just I pray that prayer one time. It's that I, before my feet get, hit the floor every morning, I go, God, I'm facing life this morning and I don't, know how to, I don't know how to live life with your wisdom. So God, I need you. I need you to show up in my life today. Saying that out loud to God is life-changing every day of your life. Acknowledging to God of your great need <clears throat> for this thing called wisdom. That's principle number one. How are we doing so far? Good. We having fun so far? Awesome. So that's the first non-negotiable. This is not negotiable with God. It's one of those things that I think we intellectually understand, but I would guess, maybe I'm wrong, I would guess that almost none of us in this room out loud to God say every morning before we get out of bed, God, God, I need your wisdom today. And if I don't get it, I'm going to make some really dumb decisions in life today. 
I doubt with many of us start our day with that prayer. Most of us get up and, you know, we're, we put our feet on the ground and we're headed a million miles an hour and God is a second thought sometimes as, you know, we might give him, you know, some lip service, but this is something where you have to slow down. We're going to get to that just a bit. But, you know, the idea of just coming to God consistently all the time and asking him for his wisdom. The second non-negotiable is letting God develop in your life very good convictions. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack this and spend a little bit of time on this because this has saved my life in numerous ways. So I'm going to start with this idea. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So what Paul is writing to the Romans here, he's saying, listen, is that we're in a battle every day. And the goal of that battle, spiritually speaking, is to not let that old sinful nature dominate your life, not to let the, the, that flesh part of my life have any control over me. And the way that I do that is by disciplining my mind and my body. And so let me just talk a little bit about how I do that. So one of the, one of the ways that we do that, not the only way, but one of the ways that we do that is by developing this thing called convictions, things that I put around my life that I live my life by. Convictions are things that control how I walk in life, how I function in life. And convictions are extremely important. We rarely talk about them. But they're so darn important that we should talk more about them all the time. It's so important. So I want to talk about how I've developed some convictions. And you don't have to share my convictions. I'm just going to say right up front, you don't have to share what I'm about. You don't have to share my conviction. But you need to have your own. You need to have these boundaries around your life that you say, this is how, this is what protects me. This is what guides my life. These are convictions. These are things that cause me to react in different ways in different circumstances. So let me unpack that by telling you one of the convictions that I've had for you know, about 45 years now. I have a conviction that I don't, I don't spend a lot of time with people that I'm not married to from the opposite sex. And how that functions out of my life, you may think this is weird, but I have, that conviction has helped me negotiate a life of ministry where in that area of my life, I have not had miserable failure. So I don't ride in a car with somebody I'm not married to. Well, my daughter, I go with my daughter, but that's, that's, you know, that's okay. But I have this conviction that my flesh is weak and I've got to create boundaries around my life that protect me from making very stupid decisions. I want the wisdom of God in my life. So I have these convictions. And you might say, Pastor Dan, that is just out, out of bounds for me. I, that's your choice. That's okay. I'm just saying for me, it's a conviction that has helped me negotiate some really difficult water and some spiritual attack that happens around pastoral ministry. So I have that conviction. Here at Grace, I've encouraged the staff to do the same. I don't mandate it. It's not, I, don't give, I don't give a mandate that that's the way it is, but I 
but I give a strong suggestion that this is how we should live our life. In our offices, if you walk through our offices, every single office in our, in our facility here has windows from floor to ceiling in it. You know why? Because accountability is huge. And, and putting yourself in a position of compromise is a way that the evil one, that one who walks around seeking whom he may devour, he has a plan and he has a strategy against us. And we, as we develop convictions in our life, can have, can have can have a measurable amount of protection for us. And there's convictions in every area of life. I mean, you choose it, you develop your convictions. I, I'm not asking you to develop my convictions or take my convictions. I'm asking you, what are yours? What are your convictions? Because if you have none, here's what I'm going to tell you right up front. And I'm going to tell you this with all the love in my heart. You're going to make some really stupid decisions without convictions in your life. You've got to develop these convictions. Hopefully they're based around the Word of God, not legalism, but around the Word of God so that you can, and hopefully you don't approach it from a legalistic perspective. You just, you just say, God, here's a boundary that I'm creating. Here's a conviction that will help me walk through a difficult time in life. Make sense? Smile at me when I say that. But I, I truly, honestly think that the reason a lot of people end up making bad decisions is because they have never considered their own convictions. So, number three, you got to choose your kingdom. You got to choose which kingdom. If you want the wisdom of God, you got to choose whose kingdom you're living for, yours or God's. So, I want to read a verse of scripture, then I want to tell you a story. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, do not love the world nor the things it offers to you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. That's a pretty harsh statement by John, right? Got to choose which one you're going to do. Can't have both. For the, love, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. So here's what I want to say to you, is that you've got to choose. You've got to make a choice. John makes it very clear that there's a choice to be made, right? Do you see that? I can't, love, I can't love the world and I can't love God's kingdom at the same time. I've got to choose which kingdom I'm going to be in love with and which, king I'm, which kingdom I'm going to give myself to. You've got to give yourself to one or the other. They don't commingle. So I want to tell you a story out of church history. And uh, I want to ask you this question first too. Do you know much about church history? Because it's really important. It's not as important as the Bible, but church history really tells us a lot about how we live our life today. So I want to tell you a story that probably most of you in this auditorium have never heard, but it is life-changing, and it changed the trajectory of the, of the Christian church. So have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Athanasius? Probably most of you haven't, but Athanasius changed our world. So let me tell you a story. Athanasius was in a bitter conflict with a guy by the name of Arius, and Arius was well, we would consider him a heretic today. We would look back on church history and say, that Arius was a bad dude. He had wrong theology. And so Arius started teaching, and he was a very popular teacher. He was so popular that nearly the entire Christian church followed him in the third century. That's how influential he was. And here's what Arius was teaching. Arius was teaching that Jesus was a created being that he was created sometime before the time began, but he was still created. He was not equal to the Father. He was subordinate to God the Father. And that this doctrine got very popular. 
And by the way, you know those people that come around and knock on your door? They come by twos. They knock on your door. You know what their theology is? They have Arian theology from Arius. That's where their theology came from. That's why we need to know church history to know where we stand today. So Athanasius came along and said, wait a second, totally wrong. And by the way, just so you know, the church has this propensity to get off base. You know, that's what happened in the Reformation. Remember this, this Reformation stuff where, you know, Martin Luther and some other dudes, you know, said, hey, we can't, that, that's wrong. We can't go that way. Well, the church has this propensity to, to take the wrong turn at very difficult times. And by the way, so do you. So Athanasius comes along and he says, time out. That's, that is not right. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the one. He is the, he's the very God. He is God in human flesh. He always has been. He always will be. And he is, he is amazing. And Athanasius became a very, very unpopular teacher of his day because everybody was following the other dude. So he comes along and it was so contentious that the emperor of the Roman Empire calls him into his court and says, Athanasius, you realize that nobody likes what you're teaching, that the whole world is against you. Everybody's against you. They're all following, they're, they're all following Arius. And they're not following you. So I want you to stop teaching what you're teaching because you're just creating division. And this is Athanasius' response. And there's a reason I'm telling you this because it's so good. Uh, Athanasius said to the emperor, if the whole world is against me, then I'm against the whole world. And you know what happened at that moment in time? That was a changing point in the church history. The church then was launched into a different direction, into truth. Because one man chose a kingdom. One man chose a kingdom that he was going to follow, and he didn't care what it cost him. Now you understand why church history is so important and for us to understand the value and just knowing some of this stuff along the way. So... Which kingdom do you follow? Would you be that guy? Would you be that person? Would you, that, would you be that woman who stands up and says, if the whole world hates me, I don't care because I'm going to follow Jesus. Would you be that person? Or would you just go with the flow? I mean, that's a personal choice you have to make. But here's what I do know. If you want the wisdom of God in your life, you've got to make sure you're following the right kingdom. If you follow the wrong kingdom, you'll make the wrong choices. So choose your kingdom. How are we doing so far? You hate me yet? All right, here we go. Principle number four is understand God's design to be a servant. Understand God's design to be a servant because if you want the wisdom of God, you've got to be a servant. So let me show you this passage. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each one of you a gift from, the great, from a great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So what does serving... First of all, the reason that you've been given... By the way, let me back up just a second. If you're a Christian and you're a Christ follower, you have a spiritual gift, at least one, probably more. And God expects you, look me in the eyes when I say this to you, God expects you to use the spiritual giftedness that he has given you to serve others. That's the purpose of them. Not to serve yourself. My gift isn't for me, it's for you. And your gift isn't for you, it's for me. 
And in that process, there's this thing called humility that takes place if I'm doing it right. And whenever humility takes place, God draws near to those who are humble and, and he resists the, pri- the prideful. Spiritual gifts are, ma- are designed for us to, s- to be servants. And as we serve genuinely, it produces a spirit of humility in our life. And as we walk humbly before God, God draws near to us. And when God draws near to us, out of that humility, the natural process is wisdom. That's how important this is. Principle number five. You have to, how are we doing so far? Five non-negotiables. These are non-negotiables. I'm not giving you suggestions here. I'm telling you how to have the wisdom of God in your life. Principle number five is that you have to pursue the right influencers. You have to understand who's influencing you and determine how that's going to work itself out. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. I love what that says. You got you to have the right influencers. Influencers is a big word in our culture, right? There's a lot of influencers out there. So who's influencing you? I look for two things when it comes to choosing an influencer for my life. Number one is transcendence. Here's what I mean by that. I'm looking for someone who lives for something beyond themselves. When I want somebody to influence my life, I want to look at somebody and say, who are they living for? Is it themselves or is it something greater than that? And the second principle I look for is significance. I'm looking for someone who knows who they are and where they're going. That's the influencers that I'm looking for. So as you think about influencers, the first thing that comes to my mind is TikTok. Okay, Maybe, probably some of you are on TikTok. Let me give you some stats about TikTok. This is incredibly uh, sad. Did you know that there are uh, over a billion, over a billion people on TikTok today as we speak? Over a billion. That's a lot of people. Now let me tell you a little bit about TikTok because this is what you need to know. The average TikTok user is on TikTok 17 times a day. The average TikTok user, the average TikTok user um, is on TikTok for an hour and a half a day. Hour and a half. Now, they might be on it for 30 seconds or they might be on it for, you know, longer, but they're on it on an average for about an hour and a half a day. Now, TikTok may not be your jam. Maybe you're on other means of, of social media, things like news, feedia, news feeds or online shopping or sports news or, you know, stats or ESPN. I don't know what you're on. But here's what I know. If you were in the Bible 17 times a day, your life would be different. That's what I know for sure. That's what I know for sure. And every time you're opening one of those devices, influence happens in your life. These are non-negotiables. You've got to choose who your influencers are, and you have to be very selective. Do you want the wisdom of God in your life? Do you want to avoid those regrettable consequences? you want to avoid, avoid those decisions that you're making that are really devastating for not just you, but for the people around you? This is how you do it. Principle number six is you got to, if you want the wisdom of God in your life, you got to slow down. We live at the speed of light today, and we live so quickly and make so many decisions. I mean, it comes at us just like that. And if we don't slow down, most of the bad decisions I've made in my life is because I didn't take time to seek God, to seek counsel, to trust God, to engage with God. And as a result, I had some 
I've made some decisions in my life that are, have regrettable consequences, and I have lots of them. And I'm help, trying to help you avoid some of those. Principle number seven is know the difference between true wisdom, true wisdom, and false wisdom. You got to know the difference between true wisdom and false wisdom. James chapter 3, verse 17 says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Stop here for just a second and ask this question. Every time you make a decision, where is this going to lead me? Where, what are the consequences going to be? Where am I going with this decision? The wisdom that is from God is first pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and, and, and the fruit of good deeds. It, it shows no favoritism and is always sincere. That's godly wisdom. That's godly wisdom. And there's a wisdom that's different. There's wisdom that comes from this world, and it's normally generated from self. This is what's best for me. This is what's best for me. So here's what I want to do for just a minute. On the screen right now, I'm going to have those seven non-negotiable principles put up there. And here's what I want you to do. We have a couple hours before lunch, right? So I want you to take your phone out, and I want you to, I want you to take a, a snapshot of that, screenshot that. And here's what I want you to do. Church shouldn't be an event in our life. Church should be that part of my life that I slow my life down enough where I start taking principles from the Word of God and they make application to my life. So here's what I want you to do with this picture this week. I want you to look at that and I want you to ask the question, what is the most glaring thing that I'm violating right now in my life? Is it, I'm not seeking God consistently? I gotta change that, how do I do that? What is the most glaring thing that's going on in my life right now that hinders my ability to make wise decisions? Am I letting God develop my convictions? Am I really letting God develop my convictions in my life? What are they? What convictions should I have? What are good, and maybe you have some bad convictions. Maybe some of those need to go away. And maybe develop some new ones. You need to choose. Maybe you haven't chose which kingdom you're going to live for. Maybe you haven't chosen that yet. Maybe you're kind of somewhere in the middle. Maybe you haven't even thought about it. But if you haven't thought about it, you're living for the wrong kingdom right now. You got to choose. That is, this isn't passive stuff. You got to make choices in your life of what's going to happen. Are you pursuing the best influencers? Who's influencing you in a way that keeps you away from the presence and power of God in your life? Are you, are you just going too quickly? Are you just going so fast in life that you're just making decisions that are just bad? And are you, do you really know the difference between true wisdom and false wisdom? Because if I don't know the difference then I'm going I'm to get easily deceived in my life about what is wisdom and what is not wisdom. So dads, let me just simply say this to you. Listen to me carefully. If you're a dad here, the one thing your kids need more than an inheritance in your life, the one thing they need from you more than anything else in your life is they need a dad or a grandfather who walks with God in such a way that has wisdom in, their li in your life. They need to see wisdom. They need to see you making great decisions and see the fruit of those wisdom. That, and moms, same thing. Same thing. They need to see the wisdom of God in your life.
And I would say that when you walk out of this, these doors, the one thing that's missing in our culture is the wisdom of God. And it's the one platform we have right now, the one platform we have right now that gives us the opportunity to tell people about Jesus when they see your life and they see you making godly decisions, true decisions, decisions that come from God. They're going to ask you the question, what makes you tick? What makes you different? And it gets to give you a platform to tell them about Jesus. This is so good and so powerful. And this is what I know. You need more wisdom in your life from God than you, than you, than you realize. You need it desperately. And you need to hunger after it more than you hunger after any other thing in your life. And when you do that, over a period of time, you can't say, hey, Pastor Dan, I tried this yesterday and it didn't work. This is a lifestyle change. I'm asking you to walk out of this auditorium today with the idea that says, I am going to change my life by the power of God in me. I'm going to start making wise decisions. I'm going to walk in truth and integrity and the wisdom of God in my life. And I'm going to tell you, listen to me, money-back guarantee. Money-back guarantee. If you do what I'm suggesting, not because it comes from me, I'm suggesting you won't regret. You won't regret what I'm saying. You won't regret making a lifestyle change that produces the wisdom of God in your life long term. The reason oftentimes right now that you're suffering so desperately is just because of bad decisions, not just from you, but for people, from people around you. So my question to you is this, are you in? Are you in? I mean, because this is costly. Are you in? This is a lifestyle change. This isn't, this isn't just attending church. This is a lifestyle change that is going to affect me for the rest of my life if I live my life out to be an old guy like Pastor Dan. This is important stuff. So, Father, I come before you this day, and I thank you for the truths that you've given us today. And my prayer is, God, this won't be just another sermon that people listen to. This will be a decision that's made. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy name and for his glory. Amen.